2: Welcome to the Watford Buzz podcast. We are football commentator, Matt Messiano football analyst, Jordan Weimer, and football journalist, Tom Burdell. This is Watford end of season review part two, where we're going through the players that took us all the way to the Premier League. And as we go through, we're picking our best first 11 and then ultimately a player of the season as well. Now, if you only just joined us and you haven't heard part one yet, I advise you to go back and listen to that one first, because we've already decided who is going into our first 11 for the goalkeeper and defensive positions. We're now up to midfield in this 4-3-3 formation. Central midfield, actually, to begin with. Uh, now there's a few options here. Chalaba, Cleverly, Hughes, Sanchez, Gosling and Zinchenko. And we'll start here with Chalaba. Um, and I think uh, I would be right in saying, Tom, that uh, this season was kind of a make or break for Nathaniel Chalaba.
0: Yeah, I've been quite critical of Chalabar at at times um this season and and in his kind of Watford career as well but this has been his real kind of coming of age season for us I think hasn't he's you know he's largely had um a clean bill of health throughout and you know played an increasingly kind of influential role and I think really kind of grew into the uh, the season and, and and his sort of increasing significance in the, within the squad with Kapu leaving and Deeney being injured for a long period. You know, he became, he showed himself to be a real leader um, and and put in some really, really big performances in in, in big games when it mattered. Um, I, I read the Adam Leventhal piece with Will Hughes saying he wants to stay and, you know, how surprised he was to be put as the deepest line midfielder and, oh, that's Chalabar's role. And I kind of disagreed with that. I don't think that is Chalabar's best role. I think he is a decent tackler and what have you. And but it's not, you know, he's got great energy. He's got great legs, and I, I like him in a more sort of box to box position. I think it's no coincidence that we've got the best out of those two by kind of flipping them um, from where they've been playing earlier in the season. And yeah, it's been it's been a it's been a great season for for Nathaniel Chalabar and I really hope he carries it into the Premier League now because there's uh, a lot, a lot of things to like about him as a footballer.
1: Yeah, I think we were a bit right at first because when he was playing at defensive midfield position, it was it was Nathaniel Chalba playing within himself. And whilst he was able to kind of help that defensive line and, and break up the play, he felt like he was really lacking in possession. And as the season went on, it kind of felt like this wasn't going to be the year that Chalba kind of reinvented himself and was able to, to kick on and kind of cap, recapture some of that that positivity we had from him in his first spell with us and early on in the second spell too. But I think when once Cisco came in, as you say, that switch and it's not even a switch in position because they're very different roles that Hughes and Chaba were playing. It just happened to be both deeper. Um, but seeing Chaba kind of play a little bit further forward and be a little bit more expansive and gain that confidence, you, you look at a completely different player. Um and I, I think he was definitely one that you look at the kind of the, the course of the season just a massive improvement. So, yeah, for me, lots of positives. And also, it's good to see him kind of take on that captaincy role too for, for quite a large portion of the season. He ended up playing with the armband. Um, so, yeah, really in on the whole positive season for, for Chalaba.
2: Yeah. Nathaniel Chalaba then, possibly one of the contenders. Uh, next up, Tom Cleverley, a, a man who who um has been a big player for Watford since he's come in, really. Um, very much uh, up to championship level and, and and probably
1: can still do it in the Premier League as well. He was just I think it was he was just relentless, wasn't he? Um it, you know kind of what you think of Tom Cleverly, but I think it's just that that level of application and effort game after game. There are some deficiencies in there. He's not gonna you're not gonna play in there to be a creative attack midfielder, but his work rate is just so above everyone else around him most of the time. It just allows you it allows the team the allows the team to be so much more flexible in in some areas because he's gonna have that constant pressure. Um, And he's just, I imagine he's a coach's dream. Uh, He's just someone that's going to be, you know, he's going to be all over the pitch and you can ask him to do so many different things. I've been really impressed in this year and he had a few injuries, but he managed to stay on the field for large portions as well. And he had so many crucial performances in big games. It kind of felt like he really kind of instigated the game against Stoke. He was kind of one that spurred us on to kind of get back into that one. And obviously the Norwich game, I thought he was magnificent in the Norwich away. I've just been really impressed with him and off the field too you can just tell how much it means to him and yeah he's kind of been that he's kind of been that fan on the pitch in some ways it's felt like this season uh, especially at a time where you might you might think that it could be quite hard to to maybe kind of get that energy into the team and, and kind of inspire the players around him he's not an he's not a vocal captain by any means I don't get that impression but he's someone that's his energy and enthusiasm is quite contagious on the pitch, and you can see that with the way the players react around him. And yeah, I've got loads of positives to say about Tom Cleverly, but I was only to be here all afternoon for you guys.
2: Tom, just two appearances short of um, his combined total of the last two Premier League seasons. He, he played an awful lot of football this season for Watford.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, his importance was never more, never sort of better summed up than when we knew we were gonna lose him for a period. I can't remember what the game was, but it was obviously, you know, towards the running and we thought, Oh God, you know, this is a real blow. He's he's just been excellent this season. You really you can't fault him and I just think in the the way that I said you you know, every squad needs a sort of steady eddy like Craig Cathcart, you also, you know, would put um would put Tom Cleverly into that um into that category as well. He is got sort of boundless energy i think as jordan says you know he pops up with a goal from time to time he'll put his foot in he you know he's pretty sensible in in you in, in terms of his ball usage and he's just he's one of those who just gets it doesn't he He loves it a, a picture he shared on instagram over the weekend celebrating um the the millwall game i think it was sort of taken from the stands looking up at him and you know how much it meant to I him mean, obviously it means a lot to all of them, but. You know he's really been through the mill over the last couple of years, hasn't he? And to kind of come back and play such an important part of this season, particularly, uh, you know, losing Capoue, who was obviously very experienced with fear and not having Hughes for the first however many months of the season, not having Deeni for long chunks of the season. You know he has had to really carry a lot of responsibility, and 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 he's been he's been brilliant, and I he deserves another crack at the Premier League.
2: Okay, then uh, another one in contention. Uh, moving on to. Will Hughes
1: then Jordan well, yeah I mean Will Hughes has been another one has been magnificent I think we really missed him early on and him coming in and that change of shape too and him dropping into that deeper position I think it all just combined to to so many of the things that kind of made this season successful and Will Hughes has just been outstanding We've he's been a favourite since he's joined the club really and, and started to play and I think without him we wouldn't be where we are so the fact that he sounds like he's going to sign a new contract and and kind of commit himself to the club for the longer term. That's that's all really positive. And and this season he's just been he's just been so crucial. Uh, I don't think there's anyone else on the team that could kind of play that role. And especially after Etienne Capu left, I think him slotting in there and, and playing somewhat of a similar role, just being able to break up the play, it would give you so much variety and kind of passing range and just ability to move the ball forwards. I think he he's been crucial to the team, and I think he's definitely one you you can't take out of it. And yeah, I'm really pleased that he's going to be staying around.
2: Yeah, we learned a lot this season about him, didn't we, Tommy? Including uh, how much he enjoys to, to drop an F-bomb.
0: Yeah, I fucking love that. Whoops. Um, <laughs> no, uh, he's brilliant, in the he, Will Hughes? He's, he's someone as well, I think, who has... He's been quite selfless, perhaps, in the past. You know, he's played in a lot of different positions for us, hasn't he? Javi Garcia used him quite effectively in kind of a narrow right midfield role. Nigel Pearson moved him around into some different positions. And it's only now that he has maybe been in a settled position uh, that would be, you know, his his best position. And even then, I don't think it was it was blindingly obvious that this was his best position. You know, I always I always had it in my head that he was more of an advanced sort of midfielder until we signed him and it became sort of clear how good he was um, at the kind of off the ball stuff and the, the real the dirty work. But he's been he's been fantastic and the fact that he wants to stick around and sign a new contract is is huge news for us because on, he, on his day I think he's our best our best midfielder and the one that just, you know, he keeps it all keeps it all ticking over, doesn't he? Um to use that cliche. So yeah, he's he's been brilliant and, you know, I think was rightly in the kind of I don't know if I'm allowed to say, I don't know if Matt's gonna tell me off, but he was rightly in the player of the season official club player of the season discussion. Uh, certainly taking Twitter as my barometer. Um, and yeah, I, I really hope that we can, you know, use him over 38 games next season because he's he's a massive player for us.
2: Yeah, and considering that he only played half a season, really, for us, uh, you know, it's it's quite a lot of praise where he picked on him here.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely right. And uh, his impact, really, when you when you consider that he missed however much he missed at the start of the season, and he was bunged in, left midfield. For that ill-fated is really only since kind of February time where he's been playing in a settled position and, you know, his impact has been truly felt. And and that's how good he's been, that he's shot to the kind of, you know, into contention on the basis of kind of three months of the season. He's 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 fantastic, and we're very lucky to have him, I would say.
2: OK, then, that's Will Hughes. Uh, next up, we're going to be talking about somebody who, uh, well, actually, all three of these joined Watford during the season, and we'll start off with Philip Zinkernagel.
1: Peasy seven, as the kids like to call them. Um, yeah, so he's become somewhat of a divisive figure, which is... A little bit surprising to me. I was, I was quite surprised to see how negative some people were on him uh, towards the end of the season. I saw quite a few takes of people saying that, um, you know, can we just accept that, that Zinchenko was a was a failure of a signing, which is a little strange to me. Um he he's not look, my opinion is that is He's a good technical player. I think he's got a part to play in this team, in the Championship and in the Premier League. Um, but he wasn't played in this position. He, he joined partway through a season off the back of a full season of football, no real break at all, straight into um, kind of a new campaign and playing playing for a team that's playing twice a week. And he had to come in and try and adapt, um, play, as I said, playing in a different position, playing out of position. Um, and I think the fact that we're considering him as a central midfielder in, in this conversation, says it all, really, doesn't it? He's not playing out wide, which is where he likes to play. And when he was, it was on the left. And he's predominantly a right winger. So uh, I think we have to take that into consideration when we're discussing Zinkernagel. But what I do, what I will say is that I think he offered us a level of creativity at times. We really needed that. Um, he helped that left-hand side out, drifting out there a little bit too. And he was just someone that was able to kind of link things up a little bit. I think if you talk about him in that central role, you think back to the games against Rotherham away. I thought he was huge in that game. Um, some great delivery into the box, and we, you know we capitalised on it, which is even more important. And also Wickham at home too, against a team, two teams that are going to look and be quite deep and try and contain us. And Zinchenko was key to breaking them, breaking them open. Um know he assisted uh, Andre Gray, really nice assist in that game too. And those are crucial points that, that earned us a lot. You know, they earned us those three points that were crucial coming into the season. So I think he had a big impact. It's just the fact that he wasn't able to get in there consistently, and so much of that's down to the fact that he joined in January. So. I'm pretty high on Zinkenegel still. Um, I'm a big fan of him. Um, and, yeah, I don't think I've really got too much more to say. I think I've spent so much airtime talking about Philip Zinkenegel <laughs> that I don't want to keep going. But Let's
2: we'll, we'll see what Tom has to say about PZ7. I've, I've really liked
0: him as well, if I'm honest. I think um, there's definitely an element of not knowing the full... You know, he's a bit of an unknown quantity is what I'm trying to say because, as I say, he's not played... Uh, in his natural position and that is a shame but I certainly think he's shown enough to suggest that he can play in that central midfield role and we're crying out I think for a player like him aren't we so can you know create things from slightly deeper as as Jordan said and be that more forward-thinking front-footed player you know we've got a lot of uh different midfielders but I don't think we had anyone quite like him so I think he's been quite refreshing in that respect and (sighs) You've got to remember as well, he came in having played a full season uh, in in Norway, was it? Yes. It
2: yeah, was. good, right, good. A Danish and, man playing in Norway.
0: Yeah, exactly. I couldn't remember which way around it was. <laughs> That's terrible. Um, you know, he's played full season in Norway, come over here, the pitch thing, different leagues, settling in, etc. You know, there's a myriad of factors why we might not see the best of him yet. But I think the flashes that we have seen have been, have been really quite encouraging. I, I like him... I like him a lot, and I'm I'm going to be interested to see him out wide as well.
1: I know we're also talking about about the championship here, about obviously we're looking back on the season, but just in a, just for a slight for a moment, just talking about the kind of broader view of him as a signing. I think too, it has to be you have to think about the fact that we're going to be using him next season in the Premier League too. It's a different set of circumstances; we are going to be a different team. And I think you have to look at the opportunity that the players have and the areas that he'll be able to play in next year and how crucial some of those moments could be for us. I think you have to kind of look at him as a, as a bigger picture kind of signing and not just the six months that he's actually had for us. Also, too, don't forget the value in this, in the sense that it was a zero, like you we're paying very little, wasn't there? Maybe a tiny fee, but it was a free agent, effectively. So, you know, there's a lot of upsides to this deal. I think you just got to give him a little bit of time to uh, have the opportunity to settle because he had a lot of factors... Uh, going on there that kind of made it a little bit difficult.
2: Within that midfield, Jordan, where was Zinconagel deployed the most and what area do you think he excelled in particularly?
1: I think it's that. Well, I mean, he predominantly played in that kind of more forward advanced role um, in in the centre of midfield, which, you know, we kind of discussed he would like to drift out to the left. And it actually really helped support Ken Semmer, who was often quite he was left quite isolated. He was often just left to beat his man. He doesn't really have that support from, from Massena that the Saar has the luxury of in terms of that Kiko support from from the right-hand side. So I think he's he was crucial in finding a bit of balance there. And especially in games, we need to try and break down the opposition. So, you, you know, he didn't get a chance to play out wide, but I think his best position is on that right-hand side. And, you know, we were very lucky this year. I think in a lot of ways that Saar was... Ex- he managed to stay healthy the entire season, but you have to be prepared for situations where he's not... Um, And also, too, I think you have to be prepared for the left-hand side to need some more help than it did this year, too, because I think there are a fair... I mean, I said the vast majority of fans felt that Ken Semer could have done with the rest at times. I mean, he even played the last game of the season, which seemed unnecessary in a lot of ways, but... Uh, he was always always on the pitch. And you, you think that someone like Zinkenegel is going to be there to kind of help help strengthen that, that wing, that wide area of the team. Um, but, but centrally, I, I think he played a big part. And I still think he can offer a lot more too. It just so happens that the final run-in, we really benefited from the likes of Cleverly and Gosling and Chalabooks we were playing against those teams that like to build up a little bit more from deeper areas. And, and those those three are great at stopping that. So you know, it's kind of a horses-for-courses thing in the end. Um, but don't underestimate the impact he had in the games that he played. Also, sorry, one thing I will say on Zinconagle, and, and let's just keep going on again. Um, off the ball, he was actually pretty good too. Uh, I think that has to be considered when you're talking about his performance. Obviously, naturally, you got to think of him as, from an attacking sense, but off the ball, he didn't actually hurt you in the central positions. He was quite good. Uh, he won the ball back quite a lot, and he certainly wasn't down the, down the bottom end of numbers, and it comes to that in our team.
2: Okay, cool. Good to know. Uh, Philip Zincanogle then possibly uh, going into our first eleven. We'll have to wait and see, but it looks like uh, we're getting good reviews from both you two. Uh, next up, then you mentioned him just there, Jordan, uh, and we'll start with yourself, Tom, for your opinion of this guy. Dan Gosling came in to uh, to the season uh, halfway through after after playing or starting rather at Bournemouth. he uh, had been at Bournemouth a long time actually, um, but uh, how did he do when he came into the Hornets setup?
0: I think he was everything we expected, wasn't he? He was very solid, experienced, got that now, got that know how. Um where what I didn't expect was that performance away at Norwich where he seemed to be playing, you know, the Frank Lampard role in terms of his ability to get into the penalty area and get on the end of chances, then obviously got the winner. And that, you know, proved so important in the long run, didn't it? So um, he's been he's been I've used this phrase before and I'm worried I'm going to use it a lot but a real steady Eddie and to be honest with you I just loved I loved above everything else the way he got stuck into Bournemouth and uh, we went there and lost and, and, and you know you could see his loyalties had completely switched and you know he a lot of fans help. there that day didn't he I think so that's it given how much Call you know, call me easily, please. But given how much we dislike Bournemouth, there, uh, you know, to see him s- sticking up for his teammates and uh, you know, it was a real galvanising kind of kind of moment in a in a in a defeat. So yeah, I think he's I think he's done well. I don't think he's ever going to be a regular necessarily, but um, he's he's a very handy option to have. I would say
2: a surprise signing, wasn't he, Jordan?
1: Yeah, I think at the time, I think you have to remember at the time we were playing four four two, I believe um and it it seemed a bit of an odd one because we we had quite a few options in there um we weren't really quite sure how it was going to fit and it wasn't really like an alternate to what we currently had so it seemed like we were kind of stockpiling these midfielders but then just after we switched and i think as soon as we switched to that four three three, and we were relying on more you know more bodies in midfield you could kind of see the, the the thought process behind the deal a little bit more um and i think we felt a lot better about it and he ended up playing a big part i remember at the time he signed when we were in that four four two, i I didn't feel like. I know he was he was compared a lot to that Ben Watson signing, and I, I didn't feel like he he kind of fit that that role as such because Ben Watson came in at a time we were, we were needing a specific sort of player, and when Gosling came in, it felt like more of the same. But down the stretch, with uh, cleverly being out, especially for a while too. Uh, and thus relying on that that pressing too in midfield. I think that he he really came through for us and I was a little bit surprised about his effectiveness kind of in forward areas too. He's making some really good runs and that. that game against Norwich, I think that will go down in uh, Watford fans' memories for a long time. I think he'll be uh, a crucial part of the narrative of our promotion.
2: Okay, Dan Gosling there, possibly an outside chance. Uh, the last central midfielder I'm going to talk about then is uh, one another one that we probably didn't expect to be seeing uh, gracing the, the Vicarage Road tough. Uh, Carlos... Yeah, I,
1: I, I was again. I was quite impressed with Carlos Sanchez. I, I think at the time we, I think we pretty much nailed it with our evaluation of him in terms of his role in the team uh, when he signed. I think he was there to be used as a tool, and I thought we used the tool effect, effectively when called upon. Um, he had quite a tidy performance. I can't. What was the game? He came on. That he kind of settled things down in the second half. We kind of lost control in midfield at Vicarage Road. Was
0: it, was it ready?
1: But, it might have been Reading, yeah. There's definitely a game that sticks out in my mind. We had just a very cool, calm, collected second half, and he, he just slowed things down. And, you know, I think he's he's the sort of player you need. And when you're talking about promotions and you kind of look back over the season, there's always going to be these sorts of signings. Everyone has a part in it for different levels. And I think Carlos Sanchez, I think he did exactly what was required of him. And, you know, probably not going to sign an extension, which, you know, you could feel either way about it. But I think you can definitely. Feel pretty confident that he played a part in, in getting us over the line, and yeah, credit to him because it's you know he he had a big ask coming in there at his age and he hadn't played football for a while, and I, I thought he was I thought he was excellent.
2: Tom, he came in to Watford with a bad reputation from West Ham fans.
1: Yeah, I must admit, if I said
0: I was you know not surprised by uh Dan Gosling and anything he did, then I was probably quite surprised by Carlos Sanchez because. And I'll you know, I'll admit I was one of those who was a bit like, Oh my god, really? This is you know, I can remember exactly what I said, this is such a end of season Pozzo signing for for uh, Carlos Sanchez C Marco Motta, Albert Riera, Lucas Neal, these kind of <laughs> you know, fairly big name at one stage, but definitely over the hill players on a short You can take
1: that there. Marco Motta one back.
0: Uh, in my head, he was about <laughs> 37 when we signed him, but he, he actually was 28. wasn't, was he? He was yeah, 28 I mean, when we signed him. Was <laughs> someone else
2: picked Galli? That wasn't a, uh, a, a posto uh, signing, but that was... But he team. was good,
0: and he actually made a contribution, didn't he? So I was surprised Wait, you know, I probably got swept along, but I follow a few West Ham fans, because I used to cover West Ham a little bit, so I followed quite a few West Ham fans on Twitter, and the kind of opinion I always got of him was that he was just an absolute shambles of a player, but... You know, for whatever reason, uh, he was very useful for us, wasn't he, at the time? You know, he, he has a hell of a lot of experience and uh, his ability to kind of just, you know, break up the play and do the simple thing was what we signed him on. And that was that was where he excelled, I think. And yeah, if it was that written game, I can't remember what it was, but he was the kind of probably unilateral man of the match uh, in that second half. And do you know what? I almost wouldn't be opposed to us giving him a contract for next season, you um, if you know if he's not got any great expectations of playing every week, because I think I think there's a there's a decent player in there for you know for certain occasions.
2: Okay, well uh, I think a big thank you needs to go to LaRocca even if he doesn't make it into our uh, our best eleven of the season. And uh, it's time to make our uh, our minds up now about the central midfield positions. We've discussed chalabo we've discussed Cleverly, Hughes. Zinconagel, Gosling, and Sanchez. Only three can go into, uh, to, into the side from that six that we've just mentioned if we're playing this 4-3-3. So who are we going
1: for, guys? Okay, so I think just based on... I'm going to base it pretty much on impact this season and, and how much they've kind of helped get us over that line. So I think I have to go for Hughes, Cleverly, and Chalibur.
2: Tom, what do you
0: think? I actually agree. And I thought sure Jordan might put PZ7 in there because he's <laughs> ultimate yeah. No, I've taken, it,
1: but... I've taken my Zinchenko shirt and shorts off. And I've laid them <laughs> aside, and uh, yeah, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with my head over my heart here, Tom.
2: You know, if, I, think... I I think if Zinchenko had been with us from the start of the
1: season, he might have mm. just pipped. And it's not if it's not Eagle... even a criticism of Zinchenko. It's just that uh, it. it Think, I'm just thinking about these moments and Nagel played his part, but I'm thinking about Chalaber um, I'm sorry, I think yeah, Charubre against Cardiff, I'm thinking about Cleverly and Gosling against Norwich away. You know, all these cleverly versus Stoke, all these moments, all these times where they've just had these these real big impacts in the game, and I think I think you can't discount that. And it just it's just that they they've had more than, than Zinchenko. but as you said, part of that's due to the fact that he wasn't playing and that he can't do anything about that. It's not about him as a player.
2: Although we have to point out that Will Hughes wasn't playing for a lot of that period either.
1: Oh no, but he just made he just made that difference, didn't he? He's our, our midfielders night and day with him out out of it. So yeah. especially at the time when it was deeper and it, it, just the complexion of it's completely different. I mean, this season's a great it's a great example of how how different a team can be just with the right adjustments. You can have the players in there, but you have to get them in the right positions to play their game. And you know, moving some things around, and it, it looks completely different.
2: Okay, then that's our three the three going into the team. So uh, that means we've got uh, Dan Back winning goal. Left back is Adam Messina. Right back, Kiko Firminia. The two centre-backs we've gone for is Francisco Seralta and William Troost-Ekong. And now our central midfielders, Nathaniel Chalabar, Tom Cleverley and Will Hughes. Right, moving on to the wings then. And four players we're going to talk about here. Saar Semmer Success. And Hungbo, I think Hungbo needs to change his name to Sungbo so that we can have four wingers, each with an S at the start of their name. But uh, let's, let's begin with Saar. And um, I mean, it feels as though he might be uh, almost the, the first name on the team sheet. But um, let's discuss. He might get
1: in, might get in your team for the season <laughs> there. Let's,
2: <discuss, laughs> let's discuss whether he gets in. Um, I mean, Saar, I mean, there was a big question before even the start of the season begun if, as to whether he was still going to be here, Tom.
0: Yeah, and do you know what? This is the thing. There's, there is, uh, there's two kind of halves to Sar season, wasn't there? He, the first half of the season, where I'm not saying he was sulking or anything, but you know he certainly, you know we we kind of expected to lose him. There was interest in him very late in the window. Evidently, he wasn't there, and it, it just didn't seem particularly likely that we would we would keep him. Especially, I think on deadline day, he was talking about United trying to taking on loan with a with a view to a permanent deal and so on and so forth. And it just felt like there was a little bit of a hangover. And it might not be the, the two things, it might be the two things aren't connected at all, but it did just feel like there was a little bit of a hangover. Um, you know, now I'm sure the tactical element and the change of shape and change of approach and whatnot has played a bigger impact. But, you know, once it was evident that he was going to be here for the season, he really just found a new gear, didn't he? And the, the sight of him... You know, that Bristol City game where he just absolutely murdered. Was it Zach Viner who was the left sided centre half for Bristol City? It was that Bong, wasn't it? uh, it Bong? It's Bong, wasn't it? No, he's at Forest, isn't he? Either way, oh, he murdered sorry. Him Oh, as sorry,
1: well. I thought you were talking about. I thought, I thought. I genuinely thought you said the Forest game, apologies. No, but either way, he murdered Guyton Bong
0: as well, didn't he? And he's murdered yeah. several full backs, their full backs this season. Um, not literally, thankfully, otherwise we'd probably be facing up to reality without him. <laughs> um, but he's no, he, you know, the sight of him. <laughs> Doing doing that has just been a joy to behold. In my Watford's other Watford supporting friends, WhatsApp group, I said earlier in the season, I don't know that his technical ability is brilliant. I think he is a weapon and an asset because he's so great running into space and really driving into space. But I've had to revise that opinion. So yeah, another opinion I've had to revise over the course of the season because he's shown more and more technical ability. And you know, those goals against Reading were something else, weren't they? He's... He has been phenomenal. He has been a Premier League player playing in the Championship. You can't put it any more simply than that.
1: In your defence, though, he's quite unorthodox, so it can look a little bit ungainly at times. But technically, he is obviously very good. It just can can come off a little a little raw at times, just because he is quite he's quite leggy and he, he can looks like he can move a bit strangely. He strikes the ball, but no, he's 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 been excellent. I think you touched on a good point there too. Um, that first part of the season, there were some there were some real question marks over Sar. The application didn't look there. He didn't like his enjoying his game at all. It seemed like he wasn't particularly happy under Ivic is kind of what it probably came down to large, from a large part. But, um, you know, there were concerns. He wasn't running at his man. He was putting crosses in very early, almost kind of bizarrely at times when he had the opportunity to take man. his man on. Yeah, lots of opportunities. I remember us discussing on numerous occasions. Yeah, we'd, look, we'd, we'd, we'd wonder why is he not... You know, he'd be up against a, he'd be up against a fullback You've, you're very confident he has the beating of and he'd kind of walk a few steps and just... <laughs> Put in across and it was it was frustrating because he had this weapon you weren't using him but uh, obviously as, as time went on especially when Shishko came in things started to look better and once we changed to that 433 I mean you unleashed that player and it does make you wonder what the season would have been like had he been playing in a position that he thri- he thrived in from the off. Um, you know he, he was scoring goals a little bit early on he was still having some involve, involvement because the quality is there but it's that involvement outside of just the goals and assists that he has in the game um, he's such a threat the, the team have to respond to him so quickly he, he opens a lot of space elsewhere and we we ran that right hand side ragged and Ishmael Asar played an absolute ton of minutes and that's also another concern I possibly had early on was it felt like we didn't have him forever at the beginning of the season it was just a couple games but his absence we were all kind of waiting for him to to be there and I think in the back of my mind, I was always kind of considering, okay, what's going to happen when Sar gets a hamstring, has to miss two games, have, you know, twisted ankle, and it just never came. Um, he played every single minute he could possibly, pretty much. And yeah, I mean, huge asset, huge player for us. And yeah, another piece of, uh, a good investment piece, even even, even, even regardless of the fact that we spent 30 plus million on him, still feels like a good investment. And that says it all for me.
2: Yeah. I mean, certainly a, a big risk for the for the Pottsers because they knew they could have Sold him and, and probably made their lives this season a lot easier, given that uh, COVID was was pretty much going to write off the whole season in terms of getting finances in from uh, from tickets sales, and they they stuck they stuck by their guns and said no, we we believe that you know he's gonna he's gonna fire us back, and 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 so he did.
1: Yeah, I mean, we 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 take you have to take some gambles in some ways. Sometimes it's hanging on to a player, sometimes it's letting a player go, sometimes it's not signing a player and going with what you have. There are lots of gambles you have to take, and I think this year, obviously, the way things panned out, we we pretty much nailed it. And you can throw the likes of Pena and Suarez being sold into that into that mix, and you can discuss those points as well. But ultimately, we achieved the goal, so in hindsight, it all looks pretty good.
2: Okay, then moving on uh, in the wingers section, and uh, we've already spoken about him before when we were talking about left backs and left wing backs, because Ken Zemmer did start off his season in that kind of role. But as the uh, formation change came, his role was moved further up the field into that more left-winger type position. And I think that probably felt as though it was his more comfortable position. But maybe you disagree. How about we start with yourself, Tom? What do you reckon? Ken Semmer as a winger.
0: Yeah, I was a little bit mean about Ken Semmer on the last podcast. I, must I say thought it.
1: so. I thought
0: yeah, so. Yeah, I'd like to attract that because do you know what? I really like Ken Semmer because... Uh, he is a good story in so far as he came, he evidently wasn't quite good enough. He went away and he's come back again. and He's been really useful and he seems to really like it here. He's always got a smile on his face and, you know, he's made some really telling contributions this season at times, hasn't he? I think he's the player with the highest XA in, in the team this season, the squad this season.
2: Well, I think he right so got this. most assists. Did he get most assists this season? Yes, he did. certainly
0: for a long time he was leading, wasn't he? And Andy Zinkanot kind of got near him. He did get the most assists. Yeah, there you go. So yeah, he's been really good. I don't think he is a brilliant Premier League player. I still don't think that, but he's definitely useful. You know, a member of the squad next season. His versatility as well, um, and I, I lo- what I like about him is his trademark kind of move. He is an old-fashioned winger in a lot of ways. He will just get his head down and go to the byline. He's got really quite, you know, he might not be so quick, but he's got a really powerful running style where he is, mm-hmm. you know, he's very hard to knock off the ball, shrug off the ball, isn't he? And, um, th- yeah, he's a lot of fun to watch when he does that. So, Ken, I'm sorry. Again, <laughs> another cock up from me. Um, he's 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 been great, you know. there's He has been quiet in the loss few months relatively speaking but his contribution across the season as a whole just can't be overlooked can it?
1: I think he was one of the main positives in that early phase and we weren't quite getting things going it always felt like Ken was maybe one that gave us a bit of a spark and obviously he was getting involved in in creating chances which he was very good at throughout the season but he had so much work to do and I, if I had one criticism one big criticism of how we've kind of set up even on this go since that change to four-three-three. I do feel like we've under supported Ken so much of the time. You look, you go back and watch some of his clips and have a look at his, some of his dribbles or some of his deliveries into the box. It's very rarely that, that Semmers thread through down that channel. It's very rarely that he's played into played into the box. It's always him taking his player on from the halfway line, maybe the, you know, a little bit further up the pitch. He's always taking his man on, having to beat one or two men, cut back, try and find a way into the box. He does a ton of work. He doesn't get a lot of help, um, and I think his his work rate, both going forwards and coming backwards, was pretty, pretty immense, actually, especially with the amount of minutes he played, uh, throughout the season. So uh, for me, I, I think he's, he's done really well. He's, he's up there for me in terms of, um, performances and over the course of the season. And I think he deserves a lot of credit and I'm pleased for him because he seems like a nice bloke and, you know, it's good to see him get a chance. Just a little anecdotal thing here when we went to the FA cup final, he was stood with his family kind of on it was just outside the stadium and he was he was there in his suit and his family were all there dressed up and I felt I felt really bad for him because he he was part of the team but he was so on the periphery wasn't he he was never really quite Quite involved in that Gracia team, and I feel like it's it's satisfying to me to see him finally being part of the team he signed for because he's kind of earned that place now. And I'd like to see him given a chance in the Premier League too. Even though he might need to give a little bit more depth there, he might need to have someone pushing him a little bit a little bit harder. Um, I think I wouldn't underestimate him.
2: What's his best position of the two that he featured in this season, Jordan?
1: I think left. I think left wing is a better position for him. I think it's just. I think he's underrated at, at beating his man a little bit. I think Saar on the other side kind of overshadows Ken. Um, I think he's. I think maybe he's he flatters to deceive a little bit because he's just he's quite solid. He's, he he can look at, he beats his man. But he's not he doesn't move with quite the same fluidity as as uh, someone like sar So maybe he doesn't quite look like he's as, as threatening. But I do think he can be. Um, I think if you give him the right support, especially when you look at it next season too, we're going to be require, requiring more defensively of our wide men, and we know that he can do that. And oftentimes there are going to be games where we predominantly require defensive work rate from our wingers. So. I think he has a I think he has a big role to play um it, it definitely in certain games so for me I'd say left wing
2: Okay then uh next up on the uh the the wingers category and uh, it's a contentious one Isaac Success what do we what do you think guys is he going to make it into our into our best 11 this season <laughs>
0: <laughs> If he scores at Luton no question yeah. about it Um Isaac Success there's a book in that. Um, He, there's something there. There is still something there. That goal against Swansea, man, I just, you know, he is, it's, I, I hate boiling players down to their physical assets, but he has just got that abundance of strength and pace and explosiveness that, you know, people pay 20 or 30 million for. It's just everything else and his <laughs> constant being on the floor and rolling around and whining and oh, uh, uh, he, he doesn't have a future here but he could. Uh, that's not the question, I know. The question is reflective rather than uh, looking into the future. Um, this season, another one that probably would have benefited from relegation but he obviously had a horrible injury and he's missed a last chunk of the season and that, that is a blow. It would have been Different, it would have been interesting to see a, 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 a narrative where he was fit for the entire season and available. What would he have been like?
1: I, I think one of, the, one of the criticisms I have or one of the disappointments I have with success, I don't, I don't quite see him playing with purpose anymore like he, like you he need him to. He doesn't, he doesn't quite have that intensity to his game. He doesn't really feel like he's fully applied, which is it's a shame because as Tom mentioned there, he's got some of those raw traits that, that make you feel like he could, he could be quite useful um and the, another big one for me is when he first signed for us that first first season or two that he was really taking his man on and the, the criticism of, of success at that period was that he his decision making his execution when it comes to delivering the ball into the box or finishing chances wasn't there but you felt confident if he got his man one-on-one he was going to beat him he just seemed to glide past players either with pace with power and he would find a way and I think maybe you might look back at the goal against Middlesbrough that Holabas scored. It kind of came with the back of a good success run, but there's a few in there. If you go back and look at them isolated moments from taking on his man, he was excellent at that, but we've not really seen him try and do that in recent years, the recent games. He's not, he's not trying to find, find ways past in, in the same manner. He doesn't seem to be playing with that level of just intensity and application. It's kind of everything slowed down a little bit and he still possesses the skills to do things like he did against Swansea with that finish. But I think it was a make or break that year, this year for success, and I think unfortunately he didn't. He didn't make it. He broke.
2: Just three league goals since he signed um, back in 2016. Not a great return, really. For a, I mean, I suppose we've put him into this winger category, but he can play as a striker as well. But he hasn't really shone in either of those positions for Watford, at least.
1: No, no, he hasn't. And as I said, I, I don't think it's that he couldn't. I just, I mean, we, we're making assessments here. And I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to judge a guy's character based on what he does in a football pitch, but. You get you get an impression that's that's put, you. You have to make some assumptions based on what you see, and you have to try and find out where things aren't working. And I do think this is a this is a player who's not he's not fully he's not fully on board with what's going on. I don't feel like he's he's fully part of the team. I just it's a frustrating one to watch because you know the talent's there. I just don't think Isaac Success has the personality to, to succeed at, at top level, unfortunately.
2: Okay, then from one winger who we think might not be able to progress much further with Watford to another who we think probably uh, and I I might be speaking for you guys here but we think probably has a big future uh, at Watford at least if he if he keeps to um, you know getting his head down and just applying himself and that's uh, that's Joe Hungbo
1: Mm. yeah I mean really promising for that I'm I'm really pleased to see a, a player come to the academy like that um, he was a big ask for him to play this season it's good that he got some minutes really really disappointing he had to come off against uh, against Brentford because that was a real opportunity to, for us to kind of see him over a larger portion of the game and he, he started pretty well he's probably one of the bright spots in that one early on um, but yeah no it's, it's really good that he's he's had the opportunity and I hope that we we find a way to keep developing him um, I'd probably say we'd be looking to loan him this summer I think that might be the best route for him he needs to be playing in football in my opinion He's at an age where he's got to be, he's got to be out there and got to be trying to fight for a first team spot. And I think jumping to Premier League level, I think is maybe a, a step too soon for him. Uh, I would definitely be trying to find him a place to uh, to get some football next season. But again, deserves a lot of credit. And also, we appreciate that Shisko is looking at these players as options because he he did work his way into that team at times.
2: How about yourself, Tom? Uh, what's your opinion of Joseph Hungbo?
0: Yeah, really like him. Really like him. He's been fearless, hasn't he? In the games that we've seen him. Um, so far this season, you know, he he looks to have some real football intelligence about him. So, was it the Forest game where he came on? And he, you know, he slung two or three really good balls into dangerous areas um, yeah. in in his in his cameo. And you just, you know, he he looks good. And he, I think, as Jordan rightly said, his next step is loan for him because he is. He's kind of an old young player, isn't he? He's 21 now, and he's not got a lot of men's football under his belt. And I hope, and to tie this in with something that Adam Leventhal wrote um, for The Athletic about some of the kind of off-season structural changes, um, you know, I really hope that they, because we have been guilty of not doing this in the past, think about very strategically and logically where they put him on loan if they do, you know, and, and make sure that he gets a beneficial loan rather than just putting him out anywhere to get football. Because we've sent young players out on the par, in the past, seemingly to my mind, with very little plan at all. And, and he deserves better than that.
1: Yeah, I think it's a little bit different in the sense that a lot of our youth we've, we've kind of loaned out in recent times has had the idea of work permits kind of being involved there. And obviously, Hungary doesn't need that on his side. He, can, he could probably go somewhere domestically. And I think if you saw him at a, a League One side, top-end League One would be good. Um, for me i think a team that he's kind of playing a lot of minutes and able to contribute a lot going forward would be nice to see um but he might be able to squeeze a championship loan in there if he finds the right club um and and yeah i think there's a lot of room to progress and i think as you say though tom he's a he's an older 20 he's an older youth player at 21 years old you want him to be getting minutes right now um and, and next season should be a good opportunity for him to do so it would just probably be elsewhere from Watford because also you got to remember too it's only in 2020 he's on he's online an older shot so You've got to kind of find his level that's kind of the sweet spot for him right now to really be participating but still developing to to kind of getting used to that that higher level of football
2: i feel like a club like Wickham might be an ideal place for him to go to
1: yeah 100 no, percent. yeah i think that i think that's a good option those sorts of clubs are good to look at if you look at that league one table as well i think there'll be a lot of teams that would be open to that sort of player um, very low risk for them and obviously it's the time that's hard to kind of move players around and and strengthen positions so if you've got players with quality like hungbo that are available for loan I'm sure that I'm sure he'll have plenty of suitors. It's just finding that right match and finding a loan for a player is a, is a it's a trickier thing than it, it maybe is reported as a lot of the time. You really want to try and find something that fits, and you know you see you see that mistake being made very often. I mean look at J, look at James Garner at, at Watford it didn't work out, and yeah. it, it sometimes doesn't. You've got to you got to kind of do the due diligence there to find the best fit. And I think we've got to be we've got to be careful with how we do it with Hungbe, but I think it is beneficial for him in the long term to do so.
2: Well, in the words of the Wickham chairman, watch this space. <laughs> uh, right. Okay. Uh, it's time to make a decision then on the wingers. Uh, just two we're choosing here in this four-three-three three formation. Uh, only four we mentioned there. Uh, is there anyone that you wanted to to give any extra credence to? Uh, anyone that we haven't mentioned that you think? I should have mentioned.
1: Ignacio Passetto is a big player for us this, this season. I think it's hard for <laughs> yeah, no,
2: that Yeah, that's one appearance. You know what? I
1: actually sense. quite like Passetto. I, I was quite disappointed when we, we moved on from him.
2: I was, I was thinking of maybe Pedro, who played a little bit in those kind of winging positions occasionally, but featured more of a striker, which is why he's going to be
1: featuring
2: yeah. in the striking category. But no... Nothing. You're good. Okay, we're good. That's it. Then uh, that's the wingers. Um, so I, I mean, I feel like we're going to be going for Ishmaelia Saar and Kenza, but I don't want to put words in your mouths, guys. I mean, it could be <laughs> success and Hungbo, but tell me, what do you, what do you reckon?
1: Yes, yeah, is undoubtedly for me. It's going to be Semmer and, and Saar. Sorry to be boring, but I just can't. There's I mean, no it was room be in this one. It was, yeah,
2: it was likely that was going to be the choice, uh, and I don't think anyone would. Um, would disagree with that uh, up front then and it's four into one now so this could be a little bit trickier um, or maybe not up front we've got deni gray Pericia and Pedro uh, we'll start with deni then now, what do we think about his season it's
0: tough to judge honestly isn't it because as he's as he said in his you know s- series of interviews recently he spent most of the season you know carrying at least one knock Um uh, contrary to what people might expect me to say, and this is, this is working on a very self-involved basis that people listen to what I say and, and retain that information, he's made a monumental impact to our season. We would not go promoted without Troy Deeney. Um, You know, that run of games where we were just absolute dog shit and he was sticking away penalties for fun. Um
2: well, at ultimate, home, very impressive, wasn't he?
0: Yeah, and then and he that's was only it on then. the field
2: for a bit, but he just he, and, he felt yeah, like exactly he, just, he, <laughs> he felt like he wanted to be there more than anybody else, and I love that. He, that moment, up with the Dan Gosling
0: moment, and Joe Pedro getting sent off at Bournemouth. I mean, I'm making it sound very reductive, like I just like players fighting, but uh, maybe I do. But
1: I you do, though, uh, Tom, don't you? Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, you know that was. Uh, That was was great. Um, No, but seriously, you know, that run of games where we were just rubbish and he was, you know, Sa was winning penalties, he was scoring penalties. You know, that got us through at a time when we were really, really stinkingly bad. It's just a shame that he's, you know, started the season kind of not 100% fit and then missed the, the kind of end of the season. I'm sure if he was 100%, he would have been able to make a bigger contribution, but he has still made a contribution. And although I have been the first to bash him over the head historically and this year in particular, um, you you can't argue with facts. He has scored a lot of goals that weren't worth a lot of points.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, he finished the third highest Watford goal scorer. I mean, Watford didn't score that many goals this season, let's be fair, but um, he finished the third highest on seven uh, behind Pedro and Sarr. And, um, you know, he's won us points this season. That that, that can't be uh, denied.
1: No, I mean he's definitely had his impact. I think Troy Dini is a, a sensitive topic to discuss because obviously fan base has been split and it's kind of gone back and forth a little bit over the over the season really in a lot of ways. Um he's definitely had his impact and obviously as you said he scored goals at crucial times and you know, these penalties they all they all play a part and you know, we, we needed that we needed that at that moment and he did it. So yeah, can't underestimate that. But I think it's also been a good season to to see alternatives because we haven't really ever had that over this kind of last five, six, seven-year spell where, where Troy's kind of been the main man. We've not had the opportunity to see other options in there. And I think it's been a good a good opportunity to do so. Um, and, you know, Troy's injury has, has changed a lot of things. But, I don't know, it's kind, of, it's kind of at that transitional phase right now. So I feel like his contribution this year, whilst it was limited, I feel like I was pretty happy with the amount he contributed overall.
2: I wouldn't be surprised, actually, if he had more goals per for minutes that he played than anyone else in the team
1: it depends that's what a, you uh, rate it depends how you then if I mean if you're looking at that sort of thing you're probably wanting to take out penalties which then changes things a like, lot oh. yeah that's a good point that's
0: a good point so- goals per 90 he does come out the best but as Jordan says all but one were penalties weren't they? so <laughs> yeah open play no, no, no. goals per. No-
2: I, don't really, <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember that open play goal being that great either
1: no I feel like it was a tap-in wasn't it against someone well, he still played thirteen hundred minutes this season. Like he didn't play nothing. Um, yeah. and you know, he, he his impact he non penalty wise, his impact is more in assist that he got three assists and one goal. But I know I know you always face the criticisms of people saying, Oh, we well, you know what well, penalties count. And they do count, but of course they do. But when you're trying to assess a team, when you're trying to weigh up these factors, you can't predict penalties occurring. So You have to look at the output that they're they're giving out and and the potential output to give out over the course of the 90 minutes and the kind of open, fluid portions of the game. Having a penalty taker is great. So is having a free kick taker and a set-piece taker. But you have to be able to function without them to some degree. And you also have to pretty much trust the fact that the penalty takers you do have, apart from Dini, are going to most of the time put the ball away. Maybe not as consistently as Troy, because Troy has been very good at doing so. But over the course of the season, how many more goals does it account for if you have a, a striker that's more more productive off of penalties you know if you have Pedro that misses two but scores five Dini scores all seven um but Pedro offers more outside of that then you have to consider those things mm,
0: absolutely. Do, you, do you think with Troy Dini is, can I just add it's so it's become so divisive now hasn't it that you can't have a reasoned debate without someone going to extremes in the other direction it becomes so binary it's ridiculous he yeah. can be important but also uh not the most important and and so on and so forth. And, that, and that's the thing to remember, I think.
2: Also, in a, in a season where, you know, Watford were meant to be talked about a lot less, they were in the championship now, so getting less media attention, he's done quite a lot off the field to um, to kind of keep Watford in the public eye a bit, which is maybe, I don't know, helped generate uh, a bigger fan base potentially
1: yeah I don't know I mean Troy Deeney I, I've never I've never been a fan of Troy Deeney's the media side I just don't really it's just not for me I mean if he wants to do that fine but I'm I'm not having this it's, it's been like a massive asset for the club uh, in that sense but it's hard because so much, as, as as Tom's saying just there, you feel like you have to go so heavily one side or the other. Where in, in fact there is some nuance to it. I don't think any Watford fan, that's you know an actual Watford fan, could deny that they've had some great times with Troy Deeney, and Troy Deeney's been central to so many of the good moments we've had over the last few years. I Don't think anyone denies that, um, but it's, yeah, I don't know. It's a divisive one. I feel like I'm saying things that device, I'm not even trying to, to be honest. That's how touchy of a subject Troy is become. <laughs> well,
2: we're just analysing Troy Dini's season this year.
1: Yeah, the, the difficulty is it feels like as much of his season this year has been off the field. So you naturally fall into the, the like you naturally fall into talking about him off the field, which obviously we want to try and avoid as much as possible. But I, what I will say is it does, by all accounts, seem that he was contributing in a positive manner off the field as a captain, which we needed at that point. And obviously it's one thing when you're injured and you physically can't participate as opposed to if you're not being picked. But if he was positive off the field, then again, he plays a part and he he deserves the credit.
2: Okay. Uh, Next one on our list of strikers, it's Andre Gray. Tom? Andre Gray
0: is another one who I really had hopes for this season. You know, I thought, right. If it's ever going to work out for him as a Watford player, it needs to be this season. And it just hasn't, has it? I think we have finally got to the point where we can say, you know, categorically, without doubt, there is no going back now. And, you know, if we're not one of our highest earners, he would be probably gone or on his way out already. Um, He has a case to say he's been misused in the past and whatnot but i just i'm not sure that you know i think that wears pretty thin or that has worn pretty pretty thin at this stage and his performances at a lower level a level that he has conquered before as we all know do not suggest Um, you know have just not been up to a level that's been of much use to us Um, I feel sorry for him he's taken some vitriolic abuse on social media and that is that's never right Um, I'm sure I've said things that are harsh but I'd like to think they they don't count as abuse Um, but it's yeah, I'm not sure what more can be said. I feel like we've discussed him a lot this season. He
2: didn't win you ever with his spectacular face-slash-chest goal that he scored uh, against Swanson. No, I
0: had to watch that a lot of times to confirm in my own mind that it definitely touched him, to be honest. Um, but relative to his, you know, his, out, his input for the team or his output for the, the season, I feel like we've spoken about him a disproportionate amount. And I just, I just above all, I hope he... Goes somewhere and plays football and, and, and gets back to loving football.
2: Jordan, I think, as, as Tom was saying, the big things were expected ahead of him this season because we know that he's got that pedigree in the Championship. Uh, it just didn't really work out, did it?
1: No, and I mean, okay, I I don't like to just turn to like a negative, like going to like a negative rant or anything, so I'm going to refrain from doing so. I don't want to, I don't hate Andre Gray or anything, it's not like that at all, but he is. Potentially one of the worst technical footballers I've seen play for Watford in recent years, and <laughs> <laughs> it has to be. It is true, and I I feel sorry for him because it's hard to watch an athlete that's struggling in such a way. But he is, and I think if you're going to play to Gray's strengths, you have to do so in a way which hurts the rest of the team. In a sense, I, I think we're I think we're beyond that. We, we've moved football's moved on from being able to compensate for that sort of strike. And he's had successful periods, and I think. Genuinely, do think if you placed him at the right team right now in the Championship, if you played him at a place, say, you went to Birmingham, for example, a team that plays very vertical, they're more direct, they're playing in a way that kind of allows him to get into these positions to score more chances? 100%, I think he'd succeed. And I think he could score 15 goals a season. I do think that could happen, 100%. But we're not going to ever play like that at this point. We're trying to fight for promotion and we've got a certain group of players that suit a certain style of football and there's a certain way we want to get up the table. Gray doesn't fit that, and unfortunately, he's not going to fit anymore at Premier League level either. So it's a situation for me where you've got a player that's achieved to a certain point. A certain point, he got to that value at Burnley. They they saw that he was he was attracting some attention. They sold him kind of at that prime of his career. Um, but this is this is the difficulty for players that play in that niche sort of category where that next step up or that that move, that sideways move, that Allows them to play in a different team. It might not be a good fit, and just because they've played well somewhere doesn't mean they'll play well for you. And I think we really got burnt in this Andre Gray uh, deal. I think we have to try and use it as a learning experience. But for this season, it just didn't quite work for him. There, there were too many games where he, we were asking him to do things he's just simply not. He's just simply not good enough at doing. And again, I'm not just trying to criticise Andre Gray. It's just a bad, bad fit.
2: Was it? Was it a good fit for that Watford side at the time when we purchased? No, it,
1: it wasn't, Matt. It wasn't. And that's the strange thing. It really wasn't. It never seemed like it was a good fit. Um, It was a bizarre move, not only because of that, but also for the fact that since the Positives have owned us, we very, very rarely, if ever, signed a player at their prime at maximum value. Because when we signed him, the day we signed him, he'd appreciated like a car. You know, you know that he's not going to, you know you're not going (laughs) to sell Andre Gray. He walked out of
2: turf more. And he was was worth 9 million, if that. (laughs)
1: Well, it's true though, isn't it? Because how are you possibly going to resell Andre Gray at that point? For more? the season he'd have to have to increase that value further, it, it was very, very unlikely to happen. So, it, it, there are a lot of things in that deal were very strange. If I had to, if I could ask about the the kind of goings on behind a single deal at Vicarage Road, it would be it would be that one because I would be I'm very curious to see the reasoning behind it. And you know, he he joined a team which didn't operate, operate like that at all. We signed him for a Marco Silva team who. We're a much more progressive kind of footballing team than than what he was playing under Dietrich at Burnley, so it's a very strange deal. And I'm surprised we kind of just signed a player because he was good rather than because he fit, um, and and it just hasn't worked out. But as I said, I sincerely hope he, he gets a move somewhere and, and has the the option to play football regularly and, and get some goals because I want to see him do well. He's a Watford player. I always want to see them do well. It's just one that's just kind of yeah, it's hard to watch right now because it just doesn't quite work.
2: Okay, then on to the third of our four strikers, and it's uh, it's the six foot four man, the Croatian Stipe Perica. He uh, he joined from Udinese, uh, as so many do, and um, to begin with, he uh, he seemed to impress us. I think, Tom, what do you think?
0: Right, Stipe Perica is a really interesting case, and I'll tell you for why. I in my head, I really like him, and I really want to see more of him. But honestly, apart from the game against Bournemouth where he played and scored. I can't remember seeing him for more than about 10 minutes, so I'm really not sure what I've based this on.
1: Jordan, over to you. Yeah, well, (laughs) you've based it. What I think you've based it on is I think when he's come on the pitch, there have been... I'm going to have to go back and pick out the moments to actually describe it to you, I guess, but he's he's had moments where he's come off the bench and he's got in the box and he's been active and that's something we really lacked especially early on in the season we really lacked some movement in the box I think Pedro really grew into it this year I think early on in the season he was maybe a little bit Pedro wasn't quite comfortable with playing playing as that playing as that central striker as, as much as he is now I think that improved a lot I think early on he, he could drift out a little bit and not quite be sharp enough but Pericha was sharp um, his movement was really good even just the movement for that goal the goal you're talking about there the, the one against Bournemouth he kind of makes a really nice run off that to that back post there. He gets in the perfect position for the cross. He anticipates, which is something our strikers struggle to do often, is anticipate. And he gets in there and he puts the chance away. And mm-hmm. he, he's someone that you appreciate, not because of his physical size, not because of his his length or anything. It's because of the fact that he's sharp on the box. And and that, that's such a it's such a productive, beneficial trait to find as a striker that not all of them have. I do think there's a player in there. Um I think if he had played more often this season, I'm pretty confident he would have got goals for us. And there are times this season where I think even even as we've been doing well, uh, I'm very surprised in a lot of ways that he's not been involved in the squad more than he has, especially when he's getting he's getting the likes of Success and Gray ahead of him. I think Pritchard could have offered a lot more.
2: Certainly wasn't favoured by Chisco, was he, Tom?
1: No. and
0: uh, He's one of those ones where you do kind of feel, what's he done wrong to be so overlooked? Um, ben Wilmot is obviously another one, but... Ultimately, I suppose you can't argue with the performances and the output of the others, but I would have liked to have seen him on the bench more often as an option, if if only because he was something different and a bit less of a known and disappointing quantity.
1: Honestly, I think when we signed when we signed Glenn Murray, we talked about the the use of Glenn Murray and how he would kind of be that off the bench when you need, a break, when you need to try, try to score against a team that's sitting back and being quite tight, someone that can get in the box and get active. I think Perichia could have fitted that role too um and he could have been more on the sub I think he does have more about his game than that and I thought he also looked quite good in the front too as well I thought that suited him quite well um but I'm just surprised I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what was going on I know he had some fitness problems uh, I know he got he had a couple of setbacks where he, he had a good performance and then he played in the cup and got sent off so that kind of kept him out of the team under Ivic and then obviously got injured after the Bournemouth game I believe he actually might have gone off injured in that game so those things didn't help especially trying to starting to build around run a form together and players are starting to get a little bit of form and momentum and you're kind of on the sideline obviously doesn't help. But I think Pritch is kind of one of those cases where there's something else going on there. There's something we're not quite privy to. And it's similar to Wilmot that we can't really see why there's a lack of involvement based off the, the, the performances we're seeing on the pitch. So I think we just have to accept that we don't know the full story in this one. I'm not saying there's any behaviour issues or anything, but there might be something we're just not privy to, because uh, I think there's a there's a real strong strong shout that he could have or should have had more involvement.
2: Okay, then final strike we've had now four, and uh, it's possibly the favourite going just off what I've heard from the last three, uh, and it's Jao Pedro.
0: Yeah, Jao Pedro, really interesting because I wasn't sure that he was going to start perhaps as much as he has at the beginning of the season. At least I thought. Given how gently he was eased in last season, I thought, you know, they might continue that. He'd be more involved, but, you know, not a regular. And obviously it became apparent he was going to be. Um, I think we've seen, you know, very rapid and impressive development of a, a young player over the course of the season, haven't we? You know, as I think as Jordan explained very eloquently in the last couple of minutes, in the early part of the season, he didn't necessarily look as comfortable playing that striking kind of role and getting in the box and whatnot. But that has come with, with minutes and he looks more and more a striker. I don't think he'll ever be an out and out kind of number nine in the, in the way that you might describe um, Andre Gray. But you know, that those kind of strikers as we've seen with Andre Gray aren't as, aren't as prevalent anymore these days anyway. So I've, I've been really impressed with him and how he's handled everything and the kind of, the you know British football as it were and, and championship football and um, you know he loves the scrap doesn't he so obviously I like him
1: <laughs> he fits your he fits your primary requirement there doesn't he Tom loves a scrap isn't that's he? it
0: loves a scrap
1: um, also you can't forget that Jao Pedro is two years younger than Joseph Humber as well that's that's another Mm. thing to consider as well he's a a young player that's coming in and I think I think for me he overperformed in terms of what you'd expect to to get back from a player that age playing playing in the first team Uh, I think he's been excellent he's really adapted I think he's he's improved in a a ton for me uh, over the course of the season I think he's just such a a well-rounded player now and he's definitely finding he's finding his feet a little bit in that in that position and for me, if I'm, I think also what's worth considering, I know he didn't score a ton of goals, right? He scored nine goals, which is a good return nine goals, three assists. We're obviously not going to complain about that. It's a good return. But we didn't have that kind of that striker that's scoring that 20 goals a season or 30 you know, if you're talking about someone like Ivan Tony 31 goals in the season, something ridiculous like that, but he offers a lot outside of that. He was able to drop deep. He can play in other areas and he can, he can bring others into play and if you're looking at players that are going to translate to the Premier League too. He's one that you have to kind of look at and say, yeah, I think he can, he can do something for us because you're not going to rely on that same sort of goal scorer. You need other options. And when you look at strikers now, when I look at strikers, I'm not looking at, the, I'm not looking for goals necessarily. Obviously you want a striker that scores goals, but the reality of the situation is if there is a, a Premier League striker that can score 15 goals or someone you can feel confident that's going to do so, they're already placed in the club, but they're probably out of your budget. So someone like Pedro, I think he offers that range of, that range of input, wide, centrally, deep. We saw he even performed in midfield for us um, against Bristol, I believe. And it's that versatility that just makes him such a good prospect. And I think he's definitely been one of the, one of the real hits of that youth recruitment that we've had in, in, in recent years.
2: Do you think he can do it in the Premier League, Jordan?
1: Yeah, I do. I think you might see a role adapt a little bit. Um, you might see him partnered with someone at times. You might see him playing a little bit deeper, you might see him playing a little bit wider. But there's no doubt he's got the technical ability. And I think he's got every every possibility, every chance to succeed and, and be a real a real part of that first team. I, I think he's um I think he's definitely one of those that could that could translate that ability into a higher level. I think it was if anything, it's kind of the, the bigger test, in some ways, to me was how he'd adapt with the, the, this season as a championship striker, and not because of the physicality. I, I don't think that he can't contribute there. He's actually, he's actually maybe a little bit bigger than he looks, or maybe a little bit bigger than you think of when you think of a Brazilian, you know, nineteen-year-old. But he's he can be quite physical. and he's, he's not scared to be involved in these sort of physical battles. And also, too, I'm not sure. I mean, Brazilian football isn't exactly the isn't exactly the cleanest level of football either. There's that can get pretty rough too. So I think he's pretty well adept, <laughs> equipped to, to play that play that role um i, can see but I was Tom more concerned about his hands together there <laughs> yeah <laughs> but no i was more concerned <laughs> about the the minutes he'd have to play for us this season um more than anything but he, he's done that incredibly well so less games in the season and, and more time to recover and and focus on kind of his game and training i think i think there's plenty to work on there and I'm, I'm feeling pretty positive because you know he played 2923 minutes for us in the championship this season it's right at the top end there and he deserves the credit. And actually, as we're, as we're on that subject, the whole front three of Saar, Semer and, and Pedro, absolute workhorses this year. Uh, they played almost every minute available to them. And yeah, I think, I think it was really impressive.
2: Okay, then voting time for the striking positions. Just one going uh, forward from our four. Uh, our four, just a reminder, was Dini, Gray, Parici and Pedro. Who are we going for, guys? JP10. JP10.
0: Yeah, it has to be, doesn't it? Ja
2: Pedro. Okay, ja ja that's Pedro, it. Yeah. We've got our best 4-3-3 of the season. In goal, we picked Dan Backman. Left-back was Adam Messina. Our right-back was Kiko Femenia. Our centre-backs were William Troust Ekong and Francisco Siralta. In uh, central midfield, we went for Nathaniel Chalaba, Tom Cleverley and Will Hughes. On our wings, we went for Saar and Semmer. And up front, Jao Pedro did we pick the exact same side that you did quite possibly quite possibly but um I think on the on the balance uh, no one there that you can really you know differ about is there
1: it's hard to I mean they've they've been so consistent this season I think those players have really stuck out and there might be some arguments in there a few but I think for the most part it'll probably be pretty unanimous I'd say
2: all right then probably a harder question then um who do we think is the player of the season amongst all of those? And we can pick a top three if you like, but we need to have a number one at least.
1: So who, who's your number one, Matt?
2: Who's my number one?
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, my number one is, is uh, the, the, the person who I think has contributed most to to the side. Uh, and so I'm going to be maybe controversially going for Francisco Seralta. Oh, I like um, him. I believe that uh, he was an absolute rock at the back, I love my central defenders, um, and look, I mean, right at the start of the season, he wasn't even in the um, in the talk, was he? Really, he was he was a guy that we were we were thinking, you know, is he even going to feature? Um, but he made his way into the team, and he never let go of that position. And um, for me, I, I've. I think he was fantastic. And yes, you do need to have goals in your team and you do need to have a uh, great attacking play as well. But at the end of the day, if you're gonna get beat 5-4 every time, it doesn't really matter if you can score goals. You need to make sure you've got um, absolute rocks in defense. And I think uh, Francesco Serralta was fantastic this season. So here's my number one, but um, what about you, Jordan?
1: For me, I'm the whilst I definitely appreciate that pick there, Matt. I think everything you listed there is is valid. I think this is this is probably a, it's it's a surprisingly tough one. I think at certain stages of the season, everyone felt pretty confident in their player of the season, um, and then it seemed to really evolve as the time went on, didn't it? it kind, of, kind of became a bit of a bit of a much closer thing. For me personally, I'm gonna still go with Kiko Femenia. Um I thought he was crucial in a difficult period for us. I thought he was a consistent bright spot. Uh, I think he really helped kind of unleash Sare and, and also kind of kind of get Sar into that team and, and kind of let him grow into the team and kind of be the figurehead that he ended up being. I, I do think Kiko played a big part in that and just that consistency over the course of the season, just the class that he's had. Um, I feel like he's been a level above his, his opposition, and I've been a, a massive fan of Kiko this year. And whilst I was tempted to vote for others, I'd say for me, I'm going to definitely stick with Kiko.
2: Tom, it looks like you've got a deciding vote. Unless you've got a third choice, you could go for a third choice and then make it even harder for us. Well, I think
0: you have to consider Ishmael Assar because I just think he's been so good. And, and and as I said, you know, a Premier League player playing in the Championship, quite frankly. And, you know, he's been a huge difference maker for us. And I think the people that um, put Will Hughes forward as well, are you know, well within their rights to do so. He is evidently um, evidently been been excellent and made a real decisive difference but for me I, I always think you know player of the season has to have played you know pretty much every game if not every game then the, the vast majority and um, you know obviously Hughes well, missed a large chunk of the season and so therefore I would rule him out and then I think it's a straight shoot out between Saar who made 39 starts and Kiko who made 36 and I just think for the consistency of his performance, you know, from the moment he came into the team right up until the end of the season, it has to be Kiko Femenia for me. Uh, he's another one who's shown himself to be just too good for this um, for this level. So yeah, it would, it would be Kiko for me. I just think he gave us so much from right back. And it, it, we've always known he's a very attack-minded fullback, but he's, you know, he took it to new levels this year. and He was,
1: he was brilliant. I think recently, bias too could definitely convince him to go, to go into the which again, is a completely valid option as well. Um, but I think if you try and look back over the course of the season, I think Kiko was so, so important. And honestly, if, if Siri had copied them performances into the earlier part of the season, he'd, he'd been involved in those. I could have probably, voted, I would have probably voted for Syria because I think his impact was that big, um, as well. So, all right. Another couple ones I'd like to ask you then who would be your young player of the season?
2: Ooh.
0: how are we defining that is that someone who's broken through or just anyone
1: under and
2: he's yeah so I
1: think young yeah I think it has to be under a certain age there's probably an argument in there for you could argue for home just the fact he's broken into the team
0: that's it in years gone by I, might, I would have probably said you know the traditional sense of young player would be someone like Humbo's The Ciriata class
1: in. is young, twenty-three. Well, that's it. A lot of what of our you know people have
0: been key: Sierra Alta, uh Ishmael Sarge, Raul Pedro, are all probably twenty-three and under, aren't they? So yeah.
2: Gakia is twenty as well. So and Gakia, yeah.
0: that's it. And if he played, you know, as regular as he did in the first couple of months, he'd probably be in that that conversation as well. Tom Bashir obviously he only made two appearances, but. Yeah. We fitness permitting would probably have been in the conversation as well which you know is nice because in recent years i don't there's really been many candidates at
1: i guess all. it probably is pedro isn't
2: it yeah i think pedro has to get it doesn't he just because the fact that he's played very very well consistently all season
0: sorry just the that. fact that you point out that he's younger than hungbo which i didn't know but it's probably easy to forget um is is quite a big is quite a big thing really isn't it yeah. what
1: about um what most improved <laughs> Ooh,
0: now that's a weird... I think a lot of these haven't been particularly controversial, but I think there's a, probably room for a bit of debate here, actually, of the most yeah. improved.
1: I mean, let's, let's try and go through some of, the, some of the possibilities here. Now, I feel weird, but I don't think we can put Serialto in there, because he's been outstanding since he's been in the team. Yeah. Um, and we had not seen him play previously.
2: I think he's only most improved because people didn't expect him to have that quality. He's
1: definitely surprised the season. For sure, mm. if if there was a category for surprise this season, I think he would he would win that hands down. Um, improved, you could could you argue Dan Backman in there?
0: Yeah, I mean, not played much, but from a very low starting base, he's been excellent, hasn't he?
1: Yeah, I would yeah, say I, mean. I would
2: say Nathaniel Chalaba.
1: Oh yeah, Chalaba was going to be my vote as well. Actually, um, you could also I, I think you throw Char Pedro into that mix. Ken Semmer as well uh, could go in there. Yeah, um,
2: Chalaba for me because the other guys we're talking about are young players developing. Whereas Chalaber is a player who kind of has had to do a full circle, hasn't he? He was, he he was, he was, he was at a a point, um, for example, when he was with us the first time round, he was fantastic. In his second return, um, you know, he wasn't the player that we expected him to be, particularly after the injury, but um, he's, you know, he's really worked hard to get back and, this championship season has been absolutely perfect for him because it's given him the opportunity to, to kind of find his confidence again. I think confidence was a massive problem for Chalabar.
1: And what's crazy is that didn't even come about until over halfway through the season where he actually turned it around. Because, there were, I mean, it felt like we were talking that nauseum about Chalaba's deficiencies in the passing game or, you know, all these factors he wasn't being able to get involved, didn't look confident, all these things. But then, you know, halfway through the season, he, he starts to find his feet a little bit and he gets played a little bit further forward. And I think it all kind of culminates in that Cardiff performance. Um I think yeah no, I think you're right I think it's hard to look past Chabal for most improved. Yeah, okay. Cool. You Tom same?
0: Yeah, same mate definitely. He's been yeah, another one maybe hasn't been brilliant the whole season, but when he got going, he he really got going and he's had a, he's had a hard time, you know, with injuries and inconsistency of being selected and whatnot. I really thought he might leave it uh, mm-hmm. you know, more than once before now, but he's been uh, he's become a, a real key cog, and you would say now. He's a you know,
1: nailed on starter. Um, so then I'd probably ask you guys what would be your team performance of the season. So what was the best performance from the Watford team as a whole?
2: Well, think I mean, think yeah, back to I mean Bristol City was obviously an yeah. easy one to say because it's the game where we were the most attacking and we scored all those goals and it was it was lovely to watch. But it's not gonna be my pick. It's not gonna be my pick. I think go on, that, you I, go first. I think the Reading game was was mm. really important. Um, interesting pivotal wasn't it that that we got those mm-hmm. we got those goals and and two fantastic goals as well by the way um but if, I'm, if I'm, am i remembering this game correctly
1: <laughs> yeah yeah yes the, you the are. two, you the two, two quick vengeance. fire goals from Saar two
2: quick go- and, yeah. and and it basically killed off what was supposed to be a difficult test and i don't think reading ever managed to come back from that but it wasn't it, just it was about off was the those back of goals. a
1: faltering borough draw too wasn't it mm. Yes, it, it was, was a big performance and a lot of pressure on that game
2: so I, I feel i look for for me that was either that or the norwich game were mm-hmm. were were massive um I really enjoyed the Luton at home game just because yeah. it's always great to to beat your rivals, but um, I don't think that game really comes that close to um to the, the the big games that we had against for me cardiff reading and reading my picker and and Norwich as well,
1: but yeah. What about you, Tom?
0: I think for me, I, I always take this as the best sort of display over 90 minutes, right? We were excellent in that Bristol City game, obviously. But the standard of opposition was really quite poor. We were brilliant in that first 45 minutes, but, you know, not so much in the, in the, in the second half. Um, maybe one of the ones would have been Preston, but I actually didn't watch it. So I can't, <laughs> I can't take that. So what I'm going to say... And then obviously Cardiff away is massively significant. Were we brilliant for 90 minutes? No, probably not. So for me, it would be the Norwich away game, just because I thought, you know, we weren't brilliant for 90 minutes, but we were very, very good for most of that game. And it was such a critical game as well, which sort of there's a multiplying factor.
1: Yeah, I've got, I've got to agree with that. I think the fact that there was the pressure would play the part in it too. And I think maybe you can go, it can maybe sneak a little bit under the radar for being best performance because it was a different performance. That was the only team we played, the only team we played all season in the league where we had to adapt our game a little bit more than usual. Like we, we weren't just trying to overpower Norwich. We respected Norwich as an attacking outfit and we went there with a little bit of a different idea. And I think to go and see us play in a different manner, different style, have a game plan and execute it, um, I know Norwich kind of, you know, just won. They just kind of settled that that promotion place so they weren't at the top of their game. But, you know, I think we went there with a plan. I think we started that game so well. And it was, again, it was, a, it was a big moment. And I think we all kind of were concerned will we live up or will we kind of get through these big moments? And I think that game there, the, the kind of individual performances from the likes of Cleverly and, and Gosling and just the team as a whole, I thought it was so good and so, so promising and positive. It really kind of gave us that confidence in that final run in. So I think. All the ones mentioned are definitely contenders, but I'm I'm probably going with Norwich as well for the same reason. An outside um, shout
2: as well. Um, hmm. I, I mean, I'm thinking back here. The the Rotherham away game was hmm. was quite decent, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, actually, no. That was a good. That That's was a good, a good call. Yeah, that was a good Sterealta game. The good Zinkenegel game.
2: Yeah, I, I remember Zinkenegel being particularly good in that game.
1: Agreed. Yeah, that was a good one. Good shout. Um, okay. Yeah. But, okay. But,
2: but I'm happy to say Norwich. Let's go with Norwich then. Sure yeah
1: um, then what about individual performance this season? Ooh.
2: uh well, I mean Sara in that reading game was pretty
1: phenomenal, wasn't he but um Sar in the Bristol game too Yes mm. seriata versus Norwich in this first game was pretty good, I believe
0: yeah he was excellent in that game,
1: wasn't he Yeah, yeah. um how about another about, going how about Dan cup. Backman in the cup <laughs> yeah, yeah actually that's a good that's a good shout. Dan backman in the cup. It, it was a it felt like a meaningless game now, but it was a yeah, it was an excellent performance. Chalobre against Cardiff, I'd say as well.
0: Yeah, that's a good shout. Captain's performance that day, thing wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Dan Gosling against Norwich. Yeah. I feel like there must be plenty of Will Hughes games, but to be honest, he's so consistent that then ditto Kiko. Yeah. It's almost hard to pick out one where they were you know head and shoulders above the rest.
1: Domingo's Queener against Preston. Oh, is, is he good? You have That's to get cool.
2: about that, don't you? Yeah. yeah. You know, I forgot, I for, yeah, you know, I forgotten that, that Queen, you know, actually played quite a big part of it. It all seems so long ago, doesn't it? it? It's
1: hard to, it's hard to kind of go back and, and pinpoint those, those games. And it, it seems so, so far. I mean, how many hours of conversation we had about the games since then? It's hard to kind of go back and pick up these mm-hmm. moments. But you're going to have some recency bias there. But I think it's hard to look past the kind of recent games because they are what feel like the kind of defining games, aren't they? Um, I think for me, I'll just go first. I'm probably going to go, and again, there's probably some recency bias here, but I'm, I think I'm going to go cleverly against Norwich. Or, I don't know, maybe I'm undermining my... Yeah, no, I'll go cleverly against Norwich.
2: <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, I, I don't I don't disagree with that, to be honest.
0: I think I would go sub-Bristol City just because it was men, fair. man against boys.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's fair. Um, and I guess last one, probably the natural one to go to next, is be goal of the season.
2: Yeah, um, I'm going for that second one from Saar in the Reading game. I yeah. fo- I don't know why I'm focused on that game all of a sudden, but
1: it is a, I mean, there's a great. It was a big pressure game against a team that's kind of a roundup in the playoff spots, and and Saar was outstanding for that that spell, wasn't he? It was a great finish across goal like that, and that's that's what we were talking about earlier too. He kind of he's so unorthodox. He don't really expect that strike at that angle, but he just executes so cleanly. It's yeah, it's impressive. What about you, Tom? What you think of the goal?
0: I've really, I've forgotten a lot of the good goals. So watching the club's goal of the season compilation back, I was actually pleasantly surprised at how many decent goals we'd scored this season. Yeah. But on reflection, and this is a personal favourite rather than one where people might go, oh, yeah, that's definitely the best. But I have to say, I think my favourite was the Chalabar goal against Preston, where he sort of takes it on the, the run. Yeah, with a sort of, I don't know, falling over, sliding, whatever. Stop. Half volley. It was just it was just really satisfying. Um and in a similar vein, I really quite like Ken Semmers at Rotherham as well, he we sort of mm. flicked it up and volleyed it in from the corner. So yeah, I think you know, you, you could never argue with the SAR goal against uh against Reading or João Pedro at Derby, I think probably be the favourites. But yeah, just personally particularly like those two, I have to say.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. Um I would very much, I'm would love the Sargol. The Sargols are great in that reading game. Joe Pedro's against Derby definitely up there. Um, but for me, I think I'll go for Chalbaud's goal against Cardiff.
2: Interesting. Okay. Love the
1: footwork, creating space for himself, and just that shot across—just great finish.
0: Footwork's actually really good on that, isn't he? You don't—I really didn't good. really realize it at the time, but he sort of drags it back and then moves and, uh, onto the other foot. It's really nice goal. Yeah, yeah. I did enjoy that
2: one. All right then guys well thanks again for joining me both uh that's it we've gone through our our best uh moments of the season we've talked about a bit about each player that featured and um Basically, we've picked our best first 11. Do you agree with us? Let us know in, uh, in the Twitter. Get in contact with Jordan, in contact with Tom, in contact with me. Tell us what you think. Uh, and if you disagree, then let us know about it. Tell us who you'd have had in that side. Maybe Philip Zunkanagel gets ahead of, uh, I don't know, one of the guys in midfield for you. But um, I think we're pretty happy with, with, our, with our 11 guys. We didn't,
1: we didn't ask um, podcast of the season, though.
2: Podcast of the season? Oh, come on. There's only one contender, right?
1: Got to be the Watford Buzz podcast. It's got to be the it? Watford
2: Buzz podcast, hasn't
1: it? I mean, we've been we've been some other good podcasts out there. Actually, we should shout out some of the other podcasts as well. There've been some some really good podcasts this year. I think there's been a ton of content for Watford fans, which has been great, hasn't it? There has. During yeah. this time, it's been really really good. So to our fellow podcasters, if you're listening. Top effort this season. Almost one podcast of the year, but unfortunately the uh, official podcast of the year goes to the Waffle Buzz podcast. Um... <laughs>
2: <laughs> and we'll be back with uh, lots of lots of content in the off-season and uh, again for the Premier League. You, you, you with me, guys? You want to come back? You want to come back yeah, for the Premier League? Uh, yeah,
1: right, yeah. I guess.
0: Yeah?
2: yeah. yeah. Tom, you we slogged it like out in the
0: Championship, haven't we? So, you know, uh, you we we've, earned,
2: we've earned our right to be a, 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 a Premier League podcast.
1: And if you I don't, think don't know if has the, up to it, but... No, I'll I'm, I'm, I'm have to duck out of this one, boys. I'm, stay, I'm becoming a Brentford fan. I did another like Brentford podcast today, Ooh, so... No, <laughs> don't, even, don't even pretend. Um, don't even pretend. But also, if there's any feedback in terms of what you'd like to hear on the off-season, we've got plenty of plans for the off-season stuff that I'm pretty sure we could get a pretty packed schedule of off-season stuff right together now. we could probably get a pretty good plan of things coming up. But if there is anything particularly you'd like to hear... Um, likes to discuss or, or think we should be should be looking at should be talking about definitely let us know on that stuff because we're always happy to uh, happy to oblige and happy to cover those things too. Um, mm. Anything else we need to cover, Matt? Any reviews or anything? Are we all good?
2: I think that's us. I think we're done.
1: Yeah. All right. Lead us out.
2: That's it. Well, thanks again for joining us on on this uh, on this journey. We've um, we've loved you joining us, and and like I said, there uh, we'll be back with more content real soon. Um, a massive thank you from the bottom of my heart to, to Jordan Weimer, to Tom Bodell for joining me for the majority of this season and a big thank you as well to everyone else that's contributed uh, right from the start we've, we've, we've basically reviewed every single game uh, that, we, that we've played this season every single one and we've also built up to quite a few of those as well with a massive thanks to Jordan and his, uh, his opposition focus pods um, gosh guys this I've, is
1: weird this is the final one isn't it it's, a, it's kind of just dawned on me it's yeah. the final one of the season is, I know it doesn't really make season. any difference because I feel like we're going straight into next season so it kind of feels like it's not definitive but it's weird this is the last one so yeah I guess thanks everyone that's listened to this season it's uh, been a pleasure
2: yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much from 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 all of us. Thank you for for following us, and and hopefully you'll you'll stick with us and, and, and enjoy more content which which will be coming your way uh, very shortly.
1: And of course, thanks to the fans that are still listening to this because, yeah, we know, we know who you are. We appreciate it.
2: Yeah, we know. We know the ones... Best bit the, of the show. We know the ones that hang on to the end to hear the... Best bit of the
1: show is a complete myth. This can't be the best bit of the show. I, I refuse <laughs> to believe it.
2: My friend who, who listens to this, uh, Nick, I'll give him a little shout-out, Nick Pinnock... Uh, who uh, happens to run a golf academy? That's very, very good, by the way. Uh, if you're in Panzanga and you want to go uh, get some golf, go and uh, and find Nick Pinnock's golf. All
1: computer. right. When you said you had an ad for this podcast, Matt, I thought you'd I thought you'd throw it in there a little bit smoother than that. But.
2: Well, I know. I was just going to say um, he said that the, the last bit of this show is is his favourite, so um, this this oh. bit's for you, Nick. Yeah. Thanks,
1: thanks, Nick. That's
2: it, Nick. <laughs> Just start to One day
1: we'll off. get around down
2: there. alright okay, that's it. We're done, um, and um, that's it. We'll, we'll, be, we'll be back very soon. Please follow us on at Watford Pod if you haven't done so on Twitter, and um, and and leave us a review on iTunes as well. Let us know how we've done all season. Um, and um, that's it. We're done from myself, from 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 Jordan, and from Tom. It's goodbye, but uh, but, but not forever. Just for a week or so. All right, bye bye.